You're listening to a message from Christ's Covenant Church, where we are growing together in Christ as a caring community of disciple-makers. Thank you for listening, and please feel free to share this with others who may find it helpful. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 4. <clears throat> We're continuing our study in the book of John. This is a great book for this Advent season, and we see this love that gives. And we come to chapter 4 this morning, and I got 45 verses to cover, and... Uh, 40 minutes, that's less than a minute a verse, so I'm going to jump right in. But as you're turning there, maybe to just get your hearts acclimated to where we're going, I just want you to take a minute to pause and evaluate your life. In our culture, our pace can often be a distraction that keeps us from having a moment to think. But, but I just want you to think about a couple of things in your life. When you think about the last week, the last month, the last year, what's the origin of meaning for your life? Where was was the source of meaning or purpose or significance? What have you been pursuing? Where have your interests aimed themselves? What, What gets the bulk of your time and attention? And energy. What brings you the most happiness? Or what makes you sad? Are there regrets that you have? Are there things that you have in your life that you're ashamed of? That you hide from other people? out of shame and out of fear for how they might respond? Do you have a soul thirst that has unmet longings that can't seem to be quenched? Unmet expectations in your life? I would imagine that many of us regretfully have answers that aren't the answers we'd like to have to some of those questions. And today's text has great relevance for us on these issues. More than ever before, I think this passage has a lot to say to us, along with a great invitation for us to consider. And so I'm going to jump right into this passage. And what I want to do, I just want to walk you through this passage. I'm going to break it up into sections. Um, The first section I'm going to read is, is... Chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I'll read that now and then I'll explain a little bit and then we'll move on. This is God's word to us. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. 
So we see in this passage that Jesus' ministry is causing quite a stir with the Pharisees. The religious Jews are hearing of this, this personality called Jesus, and he's advancing even beyond the ministry of John the Baptist. And so there, there, there's a bit of a stir. And in God's providence, it's, it's not time for Jesus to be crucified and to pay for the sins of the world, but, but it's a way that God uses to move Jesus out of Judea. And he broadens his ministry borders from Judea to Galilee. And we see here, he passes through a place called Samaria. Now this is a significant area because it was not a place most religious Jews would travel through. Um, it was a place, in fact, they tried to avoid going through Samaria. Was was the shortest way to get to Galilee, but it was an area despised by the Jews. And this goes all the way back to 722 B.C. Um, the king of Assyria at the time sacked the northern kingdom, and he pulled out the Jews and took them into exile into Assyria, and then he put people from other nations into Samaria. And you can read about this in 2 Kings 17, but there was a sequence of events that happened and people felt like God was judging them for not fearing the Lord of um, the Jews, Yahweh. So they said, we need to bring some Jews back to Samaria and teach these people to fear the Lord so that this stuff will stop happening. And so they intermixed Jews in foreign nations, which was an abomination to the Lord. And so in Ezra's reform, you can read about this in the book of Ezra, he separated these people out. He would not allow these half-breed Jewish people to be a part of God's purified tribes. And ever since then, it's just been a big, big problem. And so the response of the Samaritans is they came up with their own Pentateuch, their own first five books of the Bible, their own interpretation of what that was. They considered themselves true children of Abraham. But they don't have Mount Sinai. They have Mount Gerizim. And they have this well from Jacob, and they follow Moses. And so there's these opposing forces, and Jews can't stand Samaritans, and Samaritans can't stand Jews. And so they would, they would go a long distance around this area to get to Galilee because they, they didn't want to pass through. And, and not only that, you, could be un, you would be ritually unclean if you touched a Gentile or if you had business with Gentiles, and so they just didn't want to be around these half-breeds. They're prejudiced toward them, and so they preferred not to deal with them. But but we see here in verse four that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. He was on a divine agenda. Regardless of the religious and ethnic prejudice of the day, Jesus was compelled to go there. John three sixteen. He so loved the world that whoever would believe. Gentiles included. Dirty, unclean Samaritans included. And much like his commission, he'll later give his disciples in Acts 1, uh, verse 8, of, you'll be my disciples, my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. Here, Jesus is modeling that same mission agenda. He's working his way out. And upon arrival, around noon, this is the sixth hour, so in the heat of the day, Jesus is exhausted. In his humanity, he's famished. 
And so he sits by this well, and we'll see in just a minute, he sends his disciples off to find food. In the heat of the day, weary from his travels, he rests at this well. So let's read on to see what happens next. Verses 7 through 15. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, then who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Now, we see here in this next section, this woman from Samaria coming to draw water at noon, which was very, very uncommon, which is a little bit of a hint that this woman is of poor character. She's coming when the rest of the community would not be there. She's avoiding people. She's living in the shadows. She was a questionable character and Jesus knew more about her than she may have known about herself. So he strikes up a conversation and asks her for a drink. Now, I don't think we can fully appreciate the shock and awe of this moment. And culturally, I don't think there's any way we can fathom this moment where Jesus asked this lady for a drink of water. In, in, in the Jewish tradition of this time, Jewish men were looked down upon for even talking to their wives in public. And certainly not to engage theological debate. That was for private matters in the private home. And that was for your own wife that was Jewish and faithful to God. This is Jesus talking to a Samaritan half-breed, sellout, not religious, would deem you unclean, ritually unclean. And he not only speaks to her, he asked to share a common vessel that she's going to be drinking from, which was absolutely out of bounds. Men of that day, that's not safe. You can be impure. People are going to gossip. You might fall into immorality. It's too risky. But Jesus just doesn't seem to care. He's on a divine agenda. It doesn't matter about his reputation. It doesn't matter about what's going on. He has a purpose 
to be in this place at this time, and it's to see this woman. And Jesus has now led her into a very vulnerable and uncomfortable place by talking to her. And yet she seems to follow his lead and responds, though it doesn't appear that she ever gives him water. But Jesus is okay with that. It's as, it's as if he's, you know, it's not as much about my needs as me meeting your needs in this moment right now. And so as she begins to inquire further with questions, Jesus responds to her inquiry by beginning to reveal himself to her. If you really knew who it was that was talking to you, you would be asking me for water. Living water. Water that would allow you to never thirst again. A gift from God is what he says. And he begins to open up and disclose himself. Now obviously Jesus is speaking of a thirst that she has at a deeper level than just physical water. And we, we see this dual meaning in John. We saw it in chapter 3 with Nicodemus. You know, unless a man be born again, he can't enter the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is like, what are you talking about? How's a guy my age reborn like that? You know, and, and, and it's a way that Jesus is pressing beyond the natural, the physical. And he's pressing this lady beyond this water she's coming to at Jacob's well. So by her response, she, she seems genuinely confused. And so she inquires further. How are you going to get this water? You don't have anything to draw with. And are, you, are you better than our father Jacob? She, she's trying to process all this out. Who is this guy and what's he talking about? Jesus responds by saying that Jacob's gift, though it's helpful to spare your physical life, it will never fully satisfy your deepest need. That's what he says about Jacob's well. It, it won't fully satisfy your needs. You'll have to keep coming back again and again. However, the water that I offer will quench your thirst forever. It's not like the stagnant well in the ground. It's a spring that will break forth inside of you and satisfy you forever. And obviously we see here that this offer is appealing to this woman. She doesn't like coming to this well every day, especially at noon when she's trying to hide because it's hot and it's a long way and it's not fun. So she says, yeah, give me this water. And so at her invitation, Jesus gets to the heart of the matter and reveals the true thirst he's referring to. And we see that in the next section, beginning in verse 16. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're, you're right in saying I have no husband. For you've had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. 
what you've said is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Jesus up to this point has, has brought good news. He's brought gospel. There's a, there's a gift from God that will, can be given freely and you will never thirst again. And when she inquires further, he, he introduces a level of law that convicts her heart. Go get your husband. And like the law to us who come to the gospel... Jesus commands something here that she is unable to do on her own. She can't go get her husband because she doesn't have a husband. The man she's living with is not her husband. And she's had five husbands. Can you imagine this moment? The shock and the concern of this woman. The, the very thing she worked so hard to hide... This man she's never met before has now made that the primary topic of conversation. Imagine the shame. How damaged she must feel. Five times over she's failed to the point where it's, it's so hard on her that she says, you know what, it's, it's maybe even better to just not even get married. I'm beyond the scope of God's love anyway. Why should I go by the law? This thing's not going to work anyway. She lives in this guilt and this shame. Commentator Linsky writes, the, the sin that touched her conscience more than once, she'd found a way to hush the inner voice. But now Jesus is making it speak again. Imagine the fear. I don't know this guy. He's a religious Jew. They don't like Samaritans anyway. And if his disciples come back, are they going to stone me? What's going to happen? I mean, there's so many things that are probably going through her mind. And yet, here's Jesus who's made an intentional point to put this woman on his divine calendar. He came to this place at this time full of compassion for this very purpose. 
to set her soul free. He's not there to judge her. He's offering her a drink that will truly satisfy. And this is the point he's making. He's saying, look, I'm not talking about the water you feed your livestock with. I'm not talking about the water you've got to take back to your house to wash with. I'm talking about all these men that you go to thinking they're going to satisfy you somehow. But they're always going to come up short because you're not made to be satisfied by mere men. And you keep going to that well because you can't get your thirst quenched. And in compassion, He comes to her And even though she's sinning against God, He's not there to judge her. He's there to say, I'm I'm Jesus. I'm the best man there is. I am the true husband. The one you've been looking for. And yes, I'm greater than Jacob. Because His will can't satisfy what you need. Only I can. But my role in being here is that your soul is satisfied with something that this life cannot offer. And He sees through her shame. He sees through her guilt. He sees through her sin at what she can be with that drink from Christ. And He's coming in His humanity to pay that debt for her. Regardless of the past, he's in this present moment with a gift from God. How different that is from the Jewish people who would judge her and mock her, the people she would hide from. And here's Jesus with tender compassion. The only one who has any right to judge her, and he withholds judgment. He only sees the soul inside that, that deeply thirsts for something this life can't offer. Now, I'm, no, I'm no match for Jesus, but a couple weeks ago, a memory came to mind as I was studying this passage. I went to uh, the ICU to pick up Chris Jones, who's been staying with us, one of our missionaries who had ankle surgery. And it just struck me. I was in his room. They were getting him uh, ready to get freed to get taken home. And there's this nurse in there. She's doing paperwork. And and it was just pronounced how hard she was on herself. Oh, I'm such an idiot. Oh, what was I thinking that for? Oh, yeah, I probably forgot. And just constantly degrading herself. I was leaving, I was teared up in the car with Chris because I was telling him those moments are eternities in the balance. And I think God in that moment gave me eyes to see her the way He sees her. It doesn't matter what her parents told her growing up of what a failure she might have been or what her husband tells her of what a failure she might be. That's not God's opinion. 
And that's the only opinion that matters. Every part of me just wanted to pull her aside and say, don't think that way about yourself. Because that's not how Christ thinks about you. And that's the only one that matters. And that's how Jesus enters in. It doesn't matter what your community thinks about you. I'm here to bring you a gift. You don't need to hide. I know it all. I see it all. And how about you? What wells are you drinking from in hopes that you'll be satisfied? Are you hiding or isolated living in shame. And as the statistics would tell us, a significant number of, of people in this room right now would frequent the well of pornography. You go to that well when no one's around. No one will see you. You look for meaning, and you look for purpose, and you look for pleasure, you look for escape, you look to be satisfied. And Jesus says that that hidden life will only isolate you more and separate you off from the light and bring more shame. But if you drink of me, your soul will be satisfied. How many people live with secrets from their past, terrified of how they might be judged if they really got honest with ways they've been hurt? They're living with the weight on their shoulders of the consequences it may have to people that they love if they get honest. As if controlling the situation is going to help matters. Jesus says, you don't have to hide. I know it all. He, he invites us to come. He invites us to, to, to find our satisfaction in Him. And these don't have to be shameful things either. The, the, you know, the, this focus of this lady here, she's a, a sinful lady... But all these other women who go to this well, the same would be true. Jesus is saying this well will never give you what you think you need. Your father being Jacob, this mountain that you worship on, none of this stuff is connected to the Messiah. And, and they needed him just as much as she did. And, and they would come to this well. They would come in congregations. And, and, and there are wells that we go to that aren't socially unacceptable. How many of us wake up in the morning and first thing we want to do is check our social media statuses to see how validated we are by other people. Acceptance, validation, meaning and purpose. Jesus says that stuff won't ultimately satisfy you. You get all the likes in the world. You get all the friends in the world and 
you're going to come up short. That's, that's not the craving your soul has. It's candy. Or success. Giving our lives to, to making much of ourselves. There's nothing wrong with success. There's nothing wrong with prosperity. But if it's the ultimate thing we are going to, if it's the well we continually frequent thinking, it will ultimately satisfy. We'll come up short. We'll get to the end of our life and have regret. And, and, and our souls will be empty. For some, it could be financial security. If I could just have a certain amount of money in the bank, then my soul could rest. St. Augustine says our soul is made for the Lord and until we find Him, we find no rest. It's temporary. Temporary pleasures. Temporary security. It won't ultimately satisfy people in our church who've struggled with infertility. And it's wonderful to want children. But, but even children won't ultimately satisfy. There's not a rest in who God is and what Christ has done. There's nothing that a child will bring that, that Christ doesn't offer in Himself. Singles who desire marriage. It's a wonderful thing to be married. But it can't be the ultimate thing. Because marriage won't ultimately satisfy. It won't fix all your problems. It won't ultimately make you happy. Having perfect, obedient kids won't ultimately make us happy. Going to Netflix or video games or having the newest, latest, greatest. None of that stuff will ultimately satisfy. It will just distract us from our soul's real hunger. And it will keep us preoccupied so we never have to answer those hard, deep, soul-searching questions. And this is not just for unbelievers. This woman obviously is, is a sinner and needs a Savior and she apparently receives one. But this is for the Christian too. Every day is a choice of what well we will go to to find true meaning, true identity, true satisfaction. Just on a, a personal note, I've, I've been at this church. This coming March, I'll have been on in full-time ministry here for 10 years. That's half of my Christian existence. I was saved in my early 20s, just turned 40. So most of my Christian life has been here. And the hardest road I've walked as a Christian has been here. And unfortunately, I'm humbled to admit that uh, there are other wells that I've gone to. When the pressure's on and when life is hard and when leadership decisions are hard and when there's criticism and when there's just hard things. You begin to want to, you get, you get thirsty. Your soul gets thirsty. You have longings. And, and there's every day there's a choice of where you're going to take a drink. And in that process, I've 
got some shame. I've felt desires for isolation. I've failed as a husband at times. I've failed as a father at times. I've failed as a friend at times. I've failed as a pastor. But most of all, I've failed my Heavenly Father. And I don't say that to get pity. I say that that when I come to a passage like this, Jesus sits there and He says, Nate, come drink from my well. I'm, I'm here for you, buddy. I know it all. I've got nothing to hide, man. But your soul won't be satisfied if you don't find it in me. And it's a fresh invitation every day to choose where we drink and what we drink. Jesus says the only place you're going to find satisfaction is in me. And here's the crazy thing. When you do that, your other appetites go away. I was at a, as you all were, I was at family for Thanksgiving this last Thursday. And my wife's family, we all love hamburgers. So any burger joint that's new, there's not burger joints around that we don't know, and uh, we eat hamburgers more than we should. And so we love talking about hamburgers. Um, well, right after Thanksgiving dinner, Robin's older brother starts talking about this new burger joint, and I thought her younger brother was going to lose what he just ate. Like he, the thought of a burger after being gorged with turkey and dressing and everything else, it just almost was nauseating him. And he's like, oh, I can't even think about food right now. And the same is true in the spiritual realm. Once we drink deeply of God's gift, our other cravings are curbed. Things that we had longed for aren't a longing anymore. And, and we see this in the very next section. 427 to 38. Just then his disciples came back. And they marveled that they saw him talking with a woman. So, I mean, these are good Jewish guys. They're going to be pretty alarmed. But notice, no one said what they really thought. No one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town um, and were coming. They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for the harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit of eternal life. So the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. So notice here, verse 28, this woman gets a taste of Jesus. She leaves her water pail behind. 
she runs back to the village to be a witness. She fills the water, doesn't even give Jesus any, and leaves it by the well and runs back. Completely oblivious to her physical needs because of the spiritual needs Jesus just met. And the same is true of Jesus. In verses 31 and 34, we see that, you know, think about it. These guys went into a Gentile market not touching anyone that would make them unclean, trying to find kosher food for Jews in a Gentile market. I mean, this was not an easy venture. Only to come back and Jesus is like, I don't know, I'm not hungry anymore. Don't have an appetite for it anymore. And they're like, what? Did someone come and feed you while we were gone? And, and, and look what Jesus says. My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish his work. In other words, what he's saying is when you get on God's agenda, it will curb your other cravings. Our longings are going to be replaced with a joy that comes by reaping the harvest. And that's what we see both with this lady and with Jesus. And so as Jesus has been on mission, he reaps a harvest with this lady. She goes back on mission to her town. This is in uh, verses 39. I'll end at 42 here. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Now notice this. This woman and her shameful acts that she was hiding from her whole community is now running to gather the community and her testimony is about Jesus talking about all the stuff she's trying to hide from everybody. So the very testimony she's bringing is the stuff she's been hiding and she's taking it to the very ones she's been hiding from because her soul has been set free. And God uses the most shameful outcast in the community to be His mouthpiece for the Gospel. I mean, even His disciples were there shopping and didn't say a word about Jesus. But this woman comes back in and, and declares this man who told everything she's ever done. She still obviously had questions about worship and religion and faith and all that kind of stuff, but it didn't hold her back from being a witness. She knew what she knew, and she knew that Jesus was who He said He was. And so she proclaimed what she knew. And the town began to see Him as the Savior of the world. Because He's looking for these worshipers that will come to worship the Father. Not based on what mountain you're on, or what theological grid you're on, but those who are worshiping by spirit and truth. And for us, it's not primarily about what church you're a part of. It's not primarily about where your doctrine falls on all the minutiae. What is most fundamentally important is that you drink through faith of the gift of God that comes through Jesus Christ 
living a righteous life and dying a punishing death on your behalf. And when you do, He gives you the gift of His Spirit. And His Spirit awakens you to see all that God has done for us in Jesus. And He gives us this book, the Bible, that the Spirit and truth come together. This woman had a short conversation with Jesus and her soul was set free. We get the whole story. And Paul tells Timothy that there is nothing in your life you will ever face that this book does not answer. And His Spirit will give you the wisdom and insight and recall to your memory all that He has said. And those are the worshipers God's after. People who have tasted and seen that that God is good and that the Gospel is, is, is rich in their heart. And God's Word is cherished by them. And this woman didn't have the book of Isaiah. They didn't accept it as part of their Bible. But I guarantee you, if she did have the prophets, her experience would bring this to mind. This is Isaiah 55. This is God's heart from the beginning. And He tells His people He's coming with this purpose. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Like the woman going to the well. Like us going to lesser things. He says, why do you spend your money on that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love of David. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. Listen to this. That He may have compassion on him. And to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. But what He's saying here is, I'm not like you. You've sinned against Me. You've done horrible things that have stripped Me of My glory and have chased after things that won't satisfy. But I'm not like a human that would seek revenge. There's a part of Me that has to administer justice. But I want to extend compassion. I'm not like you. I don't want revenge. I want your soul saved. And I'm going to make a way. I'm going to send My Son that one in humanity that, that laid up against that well in His frailty. He did it to understand our weakness. He did it to comprehend the capacities we have and the limitations that we have. So He could sympathize with us. And He lived His entire life in perfection. And then He died a death that was required by God's justice to pay for it. Our penalty for sin. And because of that payment, 
God says here in Isaiah, you don't have to pay anything. I've paid the bill for you, so please come and drink. If you're thirsty, come. If you're hungry, come. Those other places won't satisfy. Come to me. Drink deeply and let your soul be refreshed and you will never thirst again. This is the Jesus who invites us to taste and see that He's good. He invites us to see Him anew. He wants to enter into our space and interrupt our journey so that our souls might be satisfied. He doesn't come to shame us. He comes with a gift. He knows the wells we go to. And in compassion, He says, come drink of me. Are you willing to trust Him? Are you willing to confess your shortcomings like this lady? Are you willing to walk away from the stagnant waters this life has to offer? To truly be satisfied? That's the invitation God gives Taste and see that the Lord is good.